heavy track today. Yeah, not vibing risky lettuce, getting sinker vibes. I don't know, says on the Tab app she's firming. Don't just vibe it, get expert tips in Tab's new race feed. Tab, we're on. What are you really gambling with? Welcome back to Racing Pulse. Time now to have a chat uh, to uh, one of the main men as far as the veterinary industry is concerned. I speak to Dr Ben Mason, who's a regular here on Racing Pulse, and uh, it was fascinating to hear him speak yesterday at day one of the seminar. He'll be back in action today at Cranbourne. It's always great to catch up with Ben, who also put the polish on the Japanese superstar winner of the Golden Eagle and of obviously Romantic Warrior in the Cox Plate. So there's nothing he can't do. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Michael. Morning, how are you? Very well indeed. I thought it was a fascinating seminar yesterday. From from your perspective as a vet who was across everything, what what struck you as maybe the most important thing to come out of it? I think the most important thing was the attendance of all the trainers in that area, which was fantastic so they could actually be updated uh, with the current thoughts, uh, the current medication rules. Um, I think it was put on pretty well by Racing Victoria. Um, it was a nice atmosphere. It was open. People could chat freely, questions could be asked, and uh, I think there were some very interesting points and opinions being put across. Yeah, one of those which we touched on a little earlier when I was talking uh, with Dave Eustace, who'll be speaking today, and and you were um, involved in this discussion yesterday, was trying to have more transparency from the veterinary, um, I suppose, procedures and the bills that head owners' way because most owners don't understand what medication is used for and what types of, um, I suppose, injuries horses may have and how to get them back to full fitness. They just see how much it costs them at the bill at the end of the month. I think I just think the last in the last few years, I think the veterinary bills obviously have become quite um, uh, relevant towards the actual overall overall sort of training bills and whether the trainers absorb our bills and then put them to the owner or the veterinarians bill the owners direct but the, 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 the they're higher generally than the transport bill they're higher than the routine farrier bill they're higher than the routine dentist bill uh, and they're variable they just they just change a lot depending on what the horse needs that particular month so, yes, it is becoming a very um, uh, emotive sort of subject. Um, it will be discussed again today. But the points yesterday, obviously, of transparency uh, towards so the owners understand what's happening. Brad Spicer put a very interesting point together, um, maybe a video log at the end of the month from the veterinarian about the horse of what they've done and the reasons why they've done it. Um, that was interesting to be totally transparent on video in front of the horse is quite amazing, but maybe that's what needs to be done. Um, and also the, the, the veterinary bills, and I spoke to the other veterinarians in the room, really, they really, to, really need to be put together like a story. So the horse was examined, it was then x-rayed, and then it was treated. And it was, it's in methodical order, order, so the owners can see step one, step two, step three. Uh, and I think for that reason that, that I think the owners will say, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And a little comment could be underneath each subject heading to discuss oh, lameness, right front, radiograph, the right front fetlock, found an osteochondral fragment, we decided the options were A or B, um, and that could be discussed further. So the, on the bill, actually, it reads like a story, so then everyone sort of understands what's going on. You don't just have 
uh, vitamin injection, butte injection, uh, latex injection. I mean, there's no there's no, method, um, no no method behind that. If you just see that in the bill, it does confuse people. I must admit. Oh, the, the the focus that you were discussing was um, the coughing horse and what effect that can have, how horses can get over that. And I thought it was interesting what you were talking about in regards to, you know, humans, we, we suffer from hay fever, we all get coughs and sniffles, and it can do with the dust particles about where we live. And, and you had a device yesterday which can go into any stable and, and I suppose, um, monitor the amount of, of dust and other um, stuff that could make a horse uh, affected in that way. Yeah, so what I wanted to set out to do was to find an objective measure. How do we measure dust? I mean, everyone can go into a stable and say it's a bit dusty, but how do you objectively measure that in, and compare that between stable blocks and in between almost states, wherever you are, especially if you're travelling your horse around? So what I've done, I've found these particle counters have been around a long time, usually used in science labs, and there are handheld particle counters that you can get literally off the internet, off Amazon or eBay, and it gives you... Measurement of dust particles at 2.5 micron and 10 micron. So 10 micron is visible dust, 2.5 you can't see, especially if you have bushfires, that small sort of particulate matter you can't really see. These machines pick it up and give you a digital reading. So from your stable, you can actually do your own investigation and become your own Sherlock Holmes and walk between your stables and then work out which are your dustiest stables and which are your cleanest stables. Um, and from many points, you probably want to put your better horses in the cleaner stables and the dustier ones for the horses coming in or ones you can use or maybe your older geldings that can handle it. Uh, but it gives you an objective measure. And this should be this should be done by everybody, really. Everyone should be actually, every trainer should actually have one of these devices and they can measure their stable once a month. And I'll show today in today's meeting at Cranbourne, I'll show the device that I have and um, and I'll share that around to everyone in the meeting so they can see what I have and I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show you how it all works today as well. How much from a performance point of view does having um, a, a horse that may have a bit of a, a, a respiratory um not, not infection, but um, cough or, or something like that, which is just a, a bit uncomfortable, maybe equate to on the track? Well, it's, it's, it's performance, isn't it? So if you have mucus, mucus is a barrier. It's a, it's a barrier in the lungs which prevents oxygen transfer. So that's if you've got mucus in your horse, you are therefore limiting the amount of oxygen transfer. It can get through the lungs to the muscles. So you, the idea is to reduce the amount of mucus, obviously, where a horse has, especially when it runs. Um, mucus has been linked to poor performance time and time again, and especially uh, it is noted in the stewards' report if it has quite a substantial amount of mucus post-race and the horse runs poorly, um, the, the owners and trainers then know about it, and that's there's a reason why horses run poorly. So one of those reasons, or one of the main reasons, is what we used to term inflammatory airway disease, and it was also called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and also called heaves, bronchitis, had all these names for it, and that's all been grouped together now, and we just simply call it equine asthma. Mm. And equine asthma is hypersensitivity to dust, particles, environmental pollutants in the stable environment, which then create mucus. Um, and, And we can measure that with our digital readings and we can also diagnose it with an endoscope and laboratory testing of that mucus so you actually take a sample of it through a tracheal wash or a BAL. There's so many so many of these minute 
aspects that go um, towards making a horse perform at its optimum that a lot of people wouldn't even uh, think of. But it was uh, eye-opening yesterday to hear a lot of that. And uh, I also spoke to you off here yesterday about the, the spring carnival you had because you were the, the, the vet looking after Romantic Warrior in Melbourne and you were also bouncing between Sydney where you were looking after Japan's uh, Oban Barami who won the, the Golden Eagle as well. So you had two superstars who both got the job done over the, the spring carnival. Just quickly on the Japanese horse, um, what type of physical specimen was he like? Oh, he, you know, he was so underwhelming when he turned up. He was only 15.2 hands high. He was 440 kilos. Um, and I, I, we, all, we didn't know how good he was when he first came. And there was question marks. I mean, he had very poor gluteal or hamstring musculature. He was actually quite um, uh, sort of muscle atrophied behind. Um, but he did have joint, very large tricep muscles, like bigger beyond I've ever seen here. And that's obviously from the uphill galloping he does in the wood chip when they're training in Japan. But unusually huge tricep muscles and that's obviously the pulling power he had with the front legs so it's almost like the hind legs just follow so the power actually comes from the front not the back and i think frankel had the same sort of mm. uh, body shape so he was able to pull forward but he was a very angry little colt um he was very difficult to to handle in the box didn't want you in the box with him he was very much a bull he kicked and bit you and tried to drag you back into the box yourself. So he was a very, um, he's very much, his, his uh, mannerisms were, he wasn't a quiet little horse at all. He was quite aggressive. And maybe that put him to fight into him, make sure he actually, he won the race. But there's a, there's a few niggles with him. We, we managed him pretty well at Canterbury. I was back and forward on a, on a plane every two days between him and Reparantic Warrior. And, um, yeah, it, the job was done and the horse won, um, which was a fantastic result for Japan. Not so good result for Australian racing, but um, it was great to see that they, they brought one out that did the job. And you did a, uh, the whole team did a phenomenal job with Romantic Warrior. Were you, were you concerned at all after that Turnbull Stakes run that maybe the race against time to get him 100% fit uh, to win a Cox Plate was going to be too much? No, not with Danny Shum at the helm. I was never concerned. <laughs> um, Danny Shum, I always knew he'd be training the horse the way he wanted to, so the horse would be 100% fit um, on game day. Um, Romantic Warrior was a big horse. He was 500, just over 520, 540 kilos. Very muscly horse, huge power from behind. Um, very well-natured horse, natured gelding. Uh, I wasn't concerned with the fitness um, that Danny would actually pour into the horse between the runs, and um, they got the horse bang on for the Cox Plate, and um, we won that too. So that was um, one by an inch, but that was enough. So. Do, you, do you think he'll bounce out of that to Hong Kong on Sunday? No, this is interesting because he's had to come back. He had to go into mini quarantine running for a few days and then go back to Hong Kong and do another two weeks in quarantine in Hong Kong, so he hasn't had the greatest prep going to the international races like the other horses. So uh, it's all kind of against him. If he does win it, uh, he's he's one of a kind because he's all he's against all odds mm. to do this to fly within such a tight time frame to get him back in quarantine. He can't just enjoy the normal stable environment, the normal stable routine. He has to be exercised after everything. It was obviously exercised in the morning, so he's in the late shift, so he does mid-morning, so they're sort of at daybreak. Um, and obviously, to get to him, you have to obviously be gowned up in Hong Kong. So he can't just walk into the stable and, and palpate his legs. You have to actually have a clearance and go in there and 
uh, and actually wear a proper quarantine outfit when you go into quarantine there. So it's not that easy um, to do it, but he, they've done it in Melbourne. I guess he could possibly do it in Hong Kong. It'd be fascinating to see what he does when he gets home. Yeah, it will be indeed. It's fascinating to get your insights as well, Ben. Appreciate your time uh, and uh, enjoy today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Dr. Ben Mason joining us there.